0: So I do think this is a pretty tough passage. Um, this passage is one of the, is really maybe the key passage in all the New Testament uh, where we learn what does it mean to relate to the old covenant law. And, uh, and it, gets, it gets pretty hairy, but I think it'll really help us if we kind of walk through where have we've been so far in Galatians. Um, we've been preaching through Galatians for a little while. Uh, and you have to understand what Paul has covered so far in order to understand this passage a little bit better. So it starts off, the situation is um, there's this church that Paul has planted and, um, and he's, he's set it on its way and then he had to leave. And right after he leaves, uh, in comes this different sect that Paul often refers to as the Judaizers. Um, simply put, the Judaizers were telling them, yeah, what Paul said is really good, but... Um, but you also got to obey the law of Moses. Um, and so you, there's been talk already in the Galatians of, of circumcision. Um, there's talk of, uh, we've already seen, uh, talk about table fellowship, about eating, because there are these laws that set aside God's people. The law uh, of Moses um, separated Israel as a separate and holy nation, so they had laws that, that they couldn't eat with Gentiles. And then you see Paul say, "I had to confront Peter to his face." Do you remember this a couple of weeks ago? Peter had uh, had come, and and then he separated himself and he started uh, observing Jewish uh, food laws, and so he would separated himself from Gentile believers. And Paul had to say it's not in keeping with the gospel. The gospel that I'm, that, that I'm preaching and that, we've, that we have both received from Jesus um, brings about unity. It doesn't bring about division. And so that's really where Paul is going. That's kind of the application that we see him taking here um, is that there's this new thing that's happened in Jesus that sets aside this law as something that divides and brings about new unity for God's people. He says in verse 14, our passage picks up in verse 15. In verse 14, he drops this big uh, bombshell to these Jewish believers, um, and he says all of God's blessings, essentially all of God's blessings, come to God's people through faith in Jesus Christ and not through works of the law. And then he's going to spend the rest of this passage and on from here defending that statement. What's his view of the law and how does that relate to who we are right now and, uh, and how we have faith in Christ. So a lot of fun and clearly very applicable. Maybe not so, but I think it will be. And I think the easiest way to do that is to tell you that we have baby quail in our house. We have, uh, and if you tell anybody in authority in Fairland, I will deny it flatly. <laughs> but we have, uh, we got about, a few weeks ago, we got uh, eight kind of more full size quail. We got one flock of quail. And they live in a quail coop that Hank and I built together. And they're doing very well. And uh, But then there's this young girl in Hank's class. And her grandparents, uh, it's the Wardells, actually. Isaac Wardell used to be our... Uh, worship leader here at rock creek and his grandparents for some reason decided to hatch baby quail i don't even know what they, if they have plans for them but of course uh, our family became desperate to absorb these new baby quail into our household of faith and so so yesterday was the big day they were hatched on friday and and rachel and hank went to go pick them up yesterday and they came home and they are teeny tiny like seriously that big they're so they're even smaller than that. They're very small. Yeah, that's probably closer. You need to work for accuracy. Yeah, I'm going for accuracy here. Thank you. They're really small. And so do you know what would happen if we took those four teeny tiny baby quail and just gently and lovingly placed them into the quail coop with the other eight? What would happen? Hank Barnes knows. You can say it loud they would be destroyed. Birds are really mean. Like naturally, birds are just mean animals. And so yeah, these bigger birds would attack and kill the little baby birds. I don't think they know Jesus. <laughs> We're working on that with them. What do you think? Okay, let's put, our, let's put ourselves in the mind of these bigger birds. Here come four cute little baby birds why do i as a larger quail want to attack them maybe they're going to take my food maybe they're going to take all the water maybe they'll get the best little kind of hunker down nesting places um, maybe i don't think quail think like this but i do maybe they'll get all the attention from hank and barnes and reese and all the stranglings from Delsey.: they may let that one go <laughs> If these older quail could somehow, if we could penetrate their tiny little foul brains and convince them that they will have all the resources that they need and all the care and love and attention that they could ever want, then I think probably they would accept the baby quail. Can we get a nod on that one? Is that accurate? Okay, there we go. That is what Paul is telling us in this passage. Here we go. You ready? The law... Paul is addressing the law in a very different way than the Judaizer believers are. You see, Paul says um, Paul says the law is a parenthesis in this big, long plan of rescue that God has for His people. And he and he says, what I want you to do is look at your God's rescue of you, His taking care of you, and I want you to look first at Abraham and this great... Um, this great promise that was given to Abraham that that uh, that I'm going to make you a great nation, that I will bless all the peoples of the earth through your family, that I will be your God and you will be my people. These great blessings that God gave to Abraham. That's what Paul says. That's major. You guys are majoring on a minor when you talk about relating to God through the law. Now, do you guys know what it's like to be in a room with a group of people and you're trying to plan something rather large, let's say a wedding, and that there's the one person in the room who wants to major on the minor? Like You want to make sure that you got all the food in place, and you want to make sure the invitations actually got out so people know when to come. You want to make sure you know how many people are going to be there so you have the right resources. Maybe you need to make sure the bride and groom know when to show up and the, and the pastor knows when to be. You're trying to look at the majors, and then this one person keeps coming back to parking, but when are they where are they gonna park? Okay, we can deal with that. There's probably it's pretty clear people are not morons. Let's talk about you know something that's a bigger deal here that will the thing won't happen. If the wait a second, should we put signs on the road? Okay. You can do that. Why don't you go put signs on the road? We're going to keep talking about the ceremony and make sure it's all prepared and make sure the music is there. But wait, let's have like 12 or 15 people guiding, directing traffic so that we get the most people parked there. Those people drive me crazy. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm not a detail person. But like, take that offline. Let's, let's do like a subcommittee or something on parking and, and deal with it there. Paul is saying you are majoring on the minors. You're taking something and you're blowing it up into something it doesn't need to be. Paul is saying you need to read, you need to understand your relationship to God and your relationship, and your, and your relationship to each other and as his people on this earth through Abraham and not through the law. So what happens when the law becomes the main thing? When the law becomes the main thing, Paul is pointing out that it brings separation. Paul is pointing out that it brings separation. Uh, Like I said earlier, the law was given so that Israel could separate themselves as this holy community. The Bible uh, recognizes and declares that there there is a disease rampant in humanity. It's called sin. And our passage talks about that, that the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. But God has said, you know what the cure is going to be is Israel. There's a problem. It's called sin. It's this disease. But there's a cure, and I've given Israel to that disease. But wait, there's a a problem there. The doctors, Israel, have the disease also. And so the law is given to quarantine the doctors until the cure could come. You guys know this big virus that's moving up, or uh, they say it's not. We're not in huge danger in the states, but from South America, and there's a big scare about the Olympics, and and there's been some talk about quarantining people who travel there. They'll be quarantined. That means you set them aside so that they can't infect other people, so that they can hopefully get healthy in in a, in a separated environment. The law, in essence, was a quarantine measure. We're gonna, God. So let's said, I'm going to quarantine the doctors until the cure can be found, until the cure can come. And then once the cure is there, do you need quarantine anymore? Once you can inject that into them, do you need quarantine anymore? No. It's a moot point now. We don't need to quarantine because the cure is here. So Paul is saying what happens when you maintain the law is you're maintaining quarantine. You're separating. The fruit of that is Separation. Now, one of the less obvious fruits of this law that creates separation is separation from yourself. Separation from yourself. Have you ever said this? Well, part of me wants to go to the park today, but part of me wants to, really needs to mow the lawn. Well, part of me wants to major in pre-med, but, but part of me wants to major in literature. Part of me wants to name my kid after my grandmother so we can get that inheritance, but part of me wants to name my kid something really trendy and cool. You feel this division. We all know that kind of division in ourselves. And this division is, I mean, it can be kind of laughable, um, but, but it's this division, uh, you know, that will, bring, uh, that will bring about some of the greatest uh, tensions and trials in your life, Um. You know, I, I think it's it's uh, <laughs> it can be a bit of a scary thing when you see a grown man cry. Am I right about that? That's a bit off off putting. The times that I've seen grown men cry most recently and this is sorry, that was a funny intro to a serious thing, is when there's this separation in themselves. When they say when they the times that I've seen men come to tears most recently, has been this sense of a separation of self. Like um, this, this need to be a thing that they cannot possibly live up to. It's really been in pity. In pity. Who uh, no, no, one, no one is gentle or soft with me. I have to be strong. Um, I have to be something that I don't think I can be. That's that division of ourselves. That, and, and the law brings about that division. How does that happen? How does the law separate? How does the law keep apart? Well, we may not follow the, the Jewish law, the ancient Israelite law, but each of us makes laws that separate. We make laws that separate us one from another. Um, There are laws like uh, body type. That's a law that we put onto the world. That if you're of this kind of body type, then you are attractive. Then, um, Then I want to be around you. Then you're a good person in some respect. And if you're of that body type, then I really don't give you the time of day and I'm not really interested. Here's where it gets really fun. Some of us pick body types that we aren't. Like, what if I decided that a, the perfect man should be about six one, And if he was off by more than two inches in either direction, he was not really a man. I would be out. Like, that would be, it would be terrible, right? I'm freakishly tall. Did you guys get that? But we do that. We make laws that we actually don't fit into. And that's where, I mean, and that's where this kind of separation with others, but separation with ourselves comes. Here's another one. If you, uh, if you live anywhere north of Lula Lake Land Trust, you know this law and you live by it. There are two laws that govern that area. One of them, and they're both designed to separate, one of them is you must be born into the right family. You must be related to 80% of the other people on the mountain. <laughs> you must know those relations. You must go into a family business or have family money or uh, or, or do something uh, revolving around the connections that your family bring you. You must hang out with those people in the right places. That's what makes you and your crew good to go. That's the law. Uh, but there's another law, isn't there? Those of us who have moved to the mountain, we try and impose a different law. And this law says... If you use your family connections, if you go into the family business, if you have all these friends that, aren't, that, that, then, uh, that, that you grew up with, then you're not really a self-made person. You aren't really honorable and respectable as a man or a woman. Each party really wants to focus on, yeah, those guys do that law to me. And I, I don't like that. But, I mean, somebody came up to me after the last service and said, I know that law, and I was really rejected by it. I said, but did you remember that you did the, did you do the other law? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I think I did, yeah. <laughs> laws, we design laws to separate us. We live under these laws that separate us because we must know where we belong. We have to know. where we are and how we relate to other people and so we put a law we create these laws we had a law i created a law recently in our neighborhood i didn't know i didn't know i held this law but i I apparently uh, it's been revealed that i held it very tightly there is um there is a a lot of land in our neighborhood that's recently been developed and uh and we knew they were going to put two houses on it we're great that's wonderful but Rachel and I, uh, one Friday, we were, I was on, uh, it was my day off, and we were drinking our coffee, and we see these big machines move in. And they start clearing out the underbrush. It was all overgrown. They start clearing out the privet hedge and stuff. We're like, all right, clear it out, make it clean. And then we, we go out, and we end up chatting with the bulldozer guys and all that stuff. And, uh, and, they, and we said, so what, what are you all doing today? Um, they said, well, taking everything down. We said, well, everything Taking it all down, every bit of it. We're like, yeah, but not like that tree and that tree. Like those really big, beautiful, not those, right? Not doing it all. Got to get the big machines in here to build these houses. Guess what my law was? You don't ruin my view from my home. You don't destroy 80-plus-year-old trees for the sake of convenience. You don't strip the land bare. These are all my laws. God never said that to anybody. But I decided those are laws, and you know what it did? I separated myself from that landowner. I put him in a category. I placed him in a box that said, uh, this is the box for people I don't care to know. This is the box for people that I will not move towards. This is the box for people I do not want to relate to. He belongs there because he broke that law. It got big in our neighborhood. I want you to know, Um, and because of uh, uh, because of of the wise and uh, and loving confrontation of a brother, um, who said who said to me, "Hey, I think you guys are kind of going about this wrong. You need to move towards this guy. There's a real opportunity to show him love and acceptance." And it was it was Jameson Griffin, which who would ever think that Jameson would confront another person on something they were doing wrong? (laughs) It's astounding. Last time ever, Jameson, I promise. <laughs> no, seriously. It was great. It was very timely and loving the way he moved and, and it led to good conversations with me and this landowner where I was able to say to him, I'm really sorry. I I have I've um I've disliked you, I've judged you, I've put you in that box, I've even gossiped about you, and I need your forgiveness. So we make these laws that that separate us. And we want to live under them because they tell us where we belong. They they give us some kind of comfort about who we are. We make a law, we decide who's guilty, and we carry out the separation. I want to acknowledge real quick that, um, that unity is the application of this passage, but it's not the only and highest value for Paul. Paul is not here saying, you deal with the law the way you want, and other people will deal with it the other way, as long as we both you know, are nice to each other and nobody hurts each other, we're okay. You, Paul's aim is much bigger than living um, in quietness with each other. Paul has a bigger aim than, than fake unity or tolerance. Paul's aim is much higher. So tolerance, so, so unity is not actually the, the, the highest value for Paul. Truth and the honor of Jesus Christ are actually the highest value. You see, the law had become, at this point, like a roadblock. Have any of you ever been stuck in traffic? One of the great things about being, uh, about uh, having family not from here, but just, just down the road in Nashville is that 24 is usually really clear. There's almost never any traffic, which I'm serious about, unless you are like right uh, like at the, um, what's that called in, in Chattanooga, where it, the, uh, the ridge cut. What are people doing there? I think they, like, pull over to send a text in the middle of the lane or something. It goes so slow. I don't understand that at all. That's, like, the only place there's really significant traffic in Chattanooga. And I love that about our city. But, uh, but if you're traveling along there and somebody gets uh, some big tractor trail of jackknifes in the Red's Cut, then you're going to be sitting there forever. One time, years and years ago, Rachel and I were traveling down from Pennsylvania. We used to live in Pennsylvania, traveling back to Nashville for Christmas. Um, and we were traveling through Virginia, and it was snowing. And we probably should have just pulled over, but uh, a big tractor trailer jackknife there, and we sat there on the interstate for three plus hours with just uh, me, our dog, and very pregnant Rachel. It was not a comfortable three hours. And we couldn't, you know, you can't leave your car on. You might run out of gas and it's freezing cold. It was terrible. But the law at this time had become like a roadblock. Like a roadblock from God of, uh, that, that obstructed God's blessings getting to his people. You see, and like in those big wrecks, they got to bring big machinery in, right, to move that roadblock out of the way so the way is clear again. For God's blessings to move to his people. Paul talks about, Paul uses words like inheritance, life, the spirit, justification, righteousness. These are all just uh, code words that should spark off in our minds big ideas about what it means to relate to God and be his children. Paul is saying that roadblock is clear. And those blessings are flowing. And it's been cleared by the cross of Christ. Um, if this cup, we'll use the chalice. Too hard, I'll hold it up so everybody can see. If this chalice is God's blessings, his cup of blessings, uh, his acceptance of you, his declaring uh, that, that he's not going to treat you like your sins deserve, he's going to treat you like Jesus deserves. Um, This is the cup of his acceptance uh, and his love. Right? And this is us. And we say, I want to get some of that goodness in me. I've got this great idea. I'm going to use all the resources at my disposal to extract those blessings from God. I'm going to make sure that I catch as many as I can. I'm going to get them all. And I'm going to do that by obeying the law. But here's the problem. Our arms are not real wide. Are they? And our ability and our, and our strength is pretty weak to catch those blessings. And so, if we're here and here's God's blessings, and we're going to attain God's acceptance of His love through obeying the law, it looks a lot like this. Uh, and a little bit. grow up with a clumsy kid in your house? Nobody? Yeah, we got one. Okay. What happens when you spoke? Curses, right? If curses happen. That's what Paul is saying. When we try to obey the law, the law brings curse. But I do want to point out there's a little bit of blessing. you know what this is? This is the blessing of trying to live in God's world in the way he set it up. Those are good blessings. Uh, don't lie. Don't steal stuff. You're not going to end up in jail. Great. Those are good blessings. And you can catch some of those by obeying the law. But this is what Paul is saying in our passage, is that we are incapable of achieving that ourselves by works of the law. It only brings the curse and the spill. But that's why Christ had to come. This is that language of the, the offspring to whom the blessings were promised. This is that language that Paul is using here where he said, the offspring who's coming, Christ Jesus. And then he, Christ, can catch them all. And when we have put our faith in, when we accept that, when we trust, then those blessings can then come to us. We have to have, we have to have that intermediary. We have to have that in between us and God because works of the law. Are only going to bring the curse of the spill and not fill us with these blessings that God has for us this acceptance, this love, this, uh, this treating us uh, like Jesus deserves to be treated. Paul says that if that is our state, then we are clothed with Christ. When I was in high school, it was pretty important to have the right T-shirts. We had a dress code at school, so you had to wear collared shirts, and nobody really much cared what you wore to school. But, you, but when you were out and about weekends, evenings, it was really important to have a cool T-shirt, preferably from a college, because we were in high school, and we thought that was awesome, or some place you'd been or something cool you'd done. But it was, a, it was, it was really important to have a cool T-shirt, and you would know that you were cool if you hung out with other people with cool t-shirts. I used to think this was a bygone thing until last night. I was, Rachel and I were eating, eating dinner on a date on the North Shore. And we were sitting right by um, the sidewalk. And, uh, and these four high school guys jump out of a car and they start walking down the street wearing t-shirts that cost more than my dress shoes. I am certain <laughs> of it. They had all these fancy brand names. They each—I mean—they're all blue, by the way, which is a cool color, I, I suppose. So, they all had, i do don't—it was not—I was not a Macaulay Slam. I'm sure they were Baylor kids. They don't, you know—they had like Southern Tide and Patagonia and I don't, some other brands that I recognize but can't afford. Like, they are in their cool T-shirts. That's how you know. That's one of the major markers. It certainly was for me, and now I get to declare that it is a major marker for our high school boys. You got to have the cool t shirts so much so that we would go to, like, we would connive to get to each other's homes and steal those cool T-shirts from each other, from our friends, and uh, and keep them and wear them for a while and laugh at them while we wore their T-shirt out in public. <laughs> the hazes aren't here today. Oh yeah, they are. Y'all have these are great. Where's your dad? I'm there, so I'm on oh, thank you, Cooper. Cover your dad and Brown um, and Mary Chapman. Your dad has this great story of walking down the street. I think it was in Chattanooga when he was younger, and they ran across a guy wearing this cool REM t-shirt. REM is a band. It's one of uh, Thomas's favorites, and uh, and it was like for a tour a t-shirt. And the guy who t- one of Thomas Hayes's friends offered to <laughs> to trade that dude shirts straight up like right now let's do this i'll rip my shirt off you give me yours and i'll give you mine and here's 40 bucks on top of it all (coughs) the guy didn't do it it was a cool t-shirt he had to know he fit (laughs) he held on man He needed his status i respect that (laughs) we have been clothed with christ We've been clothed. And just like the, that, the, the right shirt brought the, the understanding that I fit, that I'm cool, that I, that I belong here, um, this is, this is uh, when we are clothed with Christ, it is the opposite of the law that divides. It's been said many times that the, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We've all been given the same set of clothes. It's like going to GPS. You don't even have to think about what you wear. Everybody's doing the same thing, and it's fine. And it's like a big stress off of your brain, right? I've always thought that would be cool, uh, not for me to go to GPS, but to have gone to school with a uniform place. You just fit, and you know it. And you know that everybody else is is there under the same circumstances as you, that, that all we had to bring was our need. See, that brings unity. You can st- we, the, the front of the mountain people can stop dividing among the well borns and the low borns, or whatever you want to call it. The, uh, you know, we can stop dividing over who's fit and who's flabby. We can stop dividing over um, who eats organic and, and who's too cool to care about that. Like all these laws that we impose over each other and ourselves, we can stop it because we all wear in the same clothes. We don't. That division is not part of us anymore. If we belong to Jesus, the law, I will say quickly, does still have a place, and Paul is careful to acknowledge that he's telling these Ju- these Judaizers. You have put the law way up here, and it doesn't belong there. You focused on minors. You focused on something that wasn't the main point, but he does say the law is still important. Essentially, he says. The law, you know, if, uh, if the law is, is like traffic and Israel is the, is the roadway to get God's blessings to God's people, then the, the law is like road signs on the, inter, on, the, on, the, on the road or on the interstate. If you go um, south of here about five, six miles or so, you're going to hit a stretch of or north of here on Lula Lake. You're going to hit a stretch of, of road where the road signs change. You know this? right after the land trust those are roadsides you're going to want to obey i was driving um in, uh, in our car and my sister-in-law was following me in her car with some of my kids in there and we were going through that part and uh you know it starts getting curvy real quick and we're we still drive we get almost home and we turn around and wonder where she is and we turn around and go back and she uh, she had not followed the road signs that tell you to reduce your speed and go about 35 miles an hour. And I'll claim that 35 miles an hour is perfectly fine for that stretch of road. 25 is ludicrous. It is a speed trap. Somebody needs to change that. The same people who need to keep people from knocking down trees, they need to get on that. She had not slowed down. Where do you think I found her? In the shrubberies. She was in the grass. And about four dudes in gigantic pickup trucks were there immediately. It was awesome. I don't know where I'm going to hook this one up, but you know the good news is I just got this sucker duly out, and it's going to be awesome. We talked far longer about the truck than it took to actually pull the car out of there. It was great. They were so nice. But the law is like road signs now. It's not, it's not who we are. It's not what makes us who we are. It's not what makes us unified or divided. It keeps us on the road. It keeps us on the road. We now have God's acceptance in Christ. He's the intermediary between God's blessings and us so that He can, they can be poured into the one they were always promised to, that's Jesus, and poured out onto us. Because of that, we have a shirt that fits, that makes us fit in. There's no more laws that I need to impose that divide me from, e- from other people or divide me even from myself. There's nothing in the way of me and the pleasure of my Heavenly Father. Last thing. Um, I read this story uh, a long time ago and it's always stuck with me. Uh, there was a young lady who was talking to her friend. Um, they were, they were uh, both believers, but uh, but the, this young lady was was relating a story of when she was about four or five years old as a little girl, and she said, my dad always wore a suit to work, and always a white shirt every day, white shirt to work, um, and he always had to have it crisp and clean and perfectly ironed. He was very meticulous about those shirts, and so it seemed like to me as a four and five-year-old girl that my mom was doing laundry constantly, always washing this, these shirts, always scrubbing on them, and, uh, and then she would she would, get, she would wash them and then she would hang them out to dry on the, on the clothesline. And as a little girl, I really wanted to help. I felt like my mom was doing this constantly. I wanted to be part of taking care of my dad and helping him get to work. And so I went out one day while my mom was hanging these shirts out to dry. And I picked one up, a wet shirt, out of that laundry basket. And I was too small to reach the clothesline. I couldn't quite get up there. But right next to, right next to there uh, in the yard was an old rusty wheelbarrow. So I laid it across the handles of that wheelbarrow, this wet shirt across those rusty handles. And when my dad found it, he was so angry. He was so angry. And he yelled, and, uh, and I just remember being so scared uh, and being so hurt. And her friend looks at her and says to her, this young, this girl, she says, how do you, how do you think God would have reacted as your father in that moment? What would he have done? And the young lady says, well, yeah, you know, I, I guess he just, he would have said, it's okay. That's okay. He wouldn't have yelled. And this girl's friend says, oh, no, 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 no he would have taken that shirt and he would have put it on. And he would have said to everybody he met, look at this. Look at this. Look what my daughter did. Did you see? She loved me so much. She loved me so much. You see, there is no law that condemns. You can't reach the clothesline anyways. There's no law that condemns. There's only acceptance and delight left for you if you've received those blessings from Christ Jesus by faith, I sure hope you have. Amen.